Yes, and uh, and I'm guessing the the understanding of the the Catholic Church's teaching, especially the teaching on the dignity of the human person, comes in very handy when you're doing counseling like that. It's so integral. Right. I sometimes wonder yeah. how people can counsel when they don't have that background. They're really starting with, with such a deficit. Our Catholic faith is so beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing with the, the work that you do. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's uh, having that foundation of of who we are as God's creation and that that bedrock understanding of who we are and starting from there, then moving up to help people in the best ways that I can. And many people have, you know, unfortunate misconceptions about what they see in the world of who they are and maybe family wounds and of, of things that have been told and hurts and pains. And but going, we have that faith to go to and that truth to help. Hey, wait a minute. Let's, let's take a moment and step back. What does God say about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you again, David Mora. Uh, Building Bridges Counseling is my guest right now. Let's move into the Augustine Way Purity Group. And uh, what's the genesis of this? How did it come to mind? And uh, where are you in the process of establishing this group? Yes. Uh, so uh, I came across the information uh, about the Augustine Way. It's a program that was started in a seminary. And, uh, and I, I came across it as, you know, could be very helpful. It's recommended for many different settings, and I had a chance to do it in a, a couple of private settings already and thought it would be good to offer something like this to the wider public in my practice. Uh, you know, there are groups out there such as uh, a SA, you know, Sexaholics Anonymous, things such as that. There, I think there used to be a, a Catholic men's purity group in pre-COVID, and then COVID hit, and I, th- I think it's, it's no longer around. And so I saw this opportunity because I've I've had clients, you know, most, unfortunately, most of my male clients probably struggle with this along with their other issues as mm-hmm. well. And so and probably a cause and effect relationship between those, would you say? I mean, the, the stress yes. causes people to, you know, do something, you know, yeah. get into impurity. Right? Yeah, acting out and yeah, the unhealthy ways, unhealthy coping and going back from childhood, first exposure, you know, uh, you know, pre-tween years, tween years, what have mm-hmm. you. So, yeah, it's just... Uh, can be an unfortunate coping mechanism. Yeah, so maybe maybe uh, you're kind of uh, hinting at it here. When we talk about impurity, especially when it comes to men, the first thing that comes into my mind is you know pornography. Uh, you know, I guess self gratification. I guess you could say to to keep it uh, PG. Uh, and uh, in the course, there could also be things like you know adultery or fornication or mm-hmm. a lot of others, you know, the homosexuality, acting out, and those you know that kind of thing. So, is is that kind of what you have in mind, or anything else I didn't mention that would would fall under impurity? Yeah, that that's good, certainly. And I also just encourage that you know there can there are some guys maybe who aren't going that far, but they're maybe lusting at images of scantily clad women. Uh, just images on Instagram, social media, and that's, and then, you know, gratifying themselves in those kind of ways. So I, I just tell people that, you know, it, it's a lust struggle. And do you have a lust struggle, even with, you know, out and about in public? Uh, have guys struggle just, you know, at the Target store or, yeah. you know, uh, you know, even going to, to a parish, to, to mass on Sundays and what have you. And it's, and the, the mind and the imagination. And so, uh, so yeah, wherever there's a struggle with with lust, and however level it is, if even if it's just uh, non pornographic to the uh, to most graphic, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's something that if it's you know it's problematic and 
and it's affecting the marriage and affecting oneself, we really need to look at how to handle this. Yeah, right. And I'm guessing, especially because you counsel a lot of people and you you, mm-hmm. you hear that this, this is very, very prevalent, isn't it? It's a, it's a big, big issue. And I, as you talk about this, you know, going into the Target store and, you know, gosh, on the media, it's just, yeah. you can't avoid it. I mean, if, if somebody, if a guy wanted to try to avoid you know, being having these images popping in front of them all the time, it's almost impossible because yeah. the, the, there's there's these sinister, uh, you know, efforts out there just to get that in front of them. They don't give a, a hoot yeah. about a man's purity. They just want eyeballs on the screen. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can go to foxnews.com or something and see some articles, but you scroll down and there's some model or someone who wants to show off their latest pictures, you know, and so yeah. that's part of the unfortunate narcissism of the culture and and celebrities as well, you know, so, uh, but yeah, it's just everywhere. Even if you don't intend, it can just jump into rabbit holes to go into places that are unfortunate. Yeah. So the reason why you started this, is this just based on the need that you see out there from the counseling that you do? Is this something, uh, anything that personally that you've ever, yeah, that you personally struggle with or, or is it more in light of uh, what you've seen in other people? Yeah, it's more in light of what I've seen in other people and the struggles of my clients. And, you know, I have referred uh, clients to uh, different groups like SA, if it's, you know, we're doing our individual work but sometimes that group dynamic is so powerful and have guys that are coming and doing their individual work and doing their group work have a lot of success with growing in purity. And uh, I think there, there's another group out there I'm hearing about too. I think he's uh, uh, Catholics in, uh, there's some kind of, I think it's online and it's in different cities, but I don't think it's in Dallas yet. Um, but it escapes my there's mind. There's one right called now. Covenant Eyes. Have you heard of that one? That's that's that, more of a protection. And, yeah, uh, that that's you put a filter on, protection. A filter. Yeah. yeah, maybe we yeah. can talk about that as yeah, well. Yeah, certainly filters. Now, you mentioned yeah. Augustine Way Purity Group. Did you say that this is used in seminaries or it's an already established group or are you creating it yourself, the, the, the curriculum and the... Uh, and the information. Yeah, this has already been established. Okay. Yeah, I have a work with Dr. Su- Suzanne Harvath, PhD, created this program in consultation with other, uh, uh, you know, uh, Catholic uh, psychologists and and clergy as well. So this is something that's been established already and created. And yeah. I have the workbook and I have the template, and so it, it just you know it, it's ready to go. And it's uh, such a wonderful program. And and yeah, I just see it as that that need of uh, so many guys needing this potential group effort to help each other out. And I, I know the answer to this question, but there may be some people listening who don't. Uh, why is it named after St. Augustine? Yeah, so, you know, St. Augustine, uh, you know, had a, a young background where he, he uh, was very promiscuous and, uh, you know, very worldly and, and non-Catholic and, and uh I guess he was, you know, kind of pagan and just doing his thing, living his life and enjoying it. And through the prayers of his mother, Saint Saint Monica, and I think Saint Ambrose, and just influence over time, eventually converted and and really lived his faith and you know took those vows of chastity and and uh, became chaste. And you know he's one of the great saints of our church. And mm-hmm. so it's a model that we have of, of someone who has lived a promiscuous sexual life, who who grew into chastity. And, uh, you know, that it's possible and that, you know, it's not impossible and we can have hope in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of hit on this a little bit, but let's get into some of the root causes. You talked yeah. about childhood and 
maybe some trauma and things like that. But when somebody does act out or maybe there's times in their life when they're doing this and other times that they don't feel the impulse, uh, uh, well, what are some of the root causes why men fall into impurity? Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the challenges being exposed to, at a young age, you know, to this in formative years, unfortunately, they say that the average age of exposure to, to pornography is about 11 now days and 11 years old. And so these days it's so prevalent and you combine something that is such a, a dopamine charge and, and, and it overexcites the pleasure centers of the brain with maybe family stressors, maybe friend stressors can, and then feeling a lack of confidence or difficulties. And as you grow up, it's, it becomes this kind of a, a pairing of, uh, you know, avoiding pain, seeking pleasure into the wrong things and becomes habitual and habitual. And uh, over time, you know, it affects the young brain, especially adolescence and puberty. A lot of the, the brain is being reformed and the prefrontal cortex is coming into play, the executive decision maker. And it's a very important part of who we need to be to make uh, rational choices. And, but when we throw in things like pornography, and that's why, you know, we don't want kids to uh, do, do drugs and, uh, and, and alcohol, drinking alcohol at a young age is because of the formative brain is uh, very dangerous. And so introducing this in those formative years becomes this habit over time. And uh, just with life stressors that continue through high school, college years, it just becomes that, that go-to outlet. And then the fortunate, it's so easy to be exposed to this. It's mm-hmm. just everywhere, and it, it's so prevalent. And then there's oftentimes, unfortunately, the the world and, and is, is downplaying it and minimizing it and rationalizing it. And, and, and that can be a part of it, too, is our, our cognitively we're distorting the situation and we're kind of rationalizing and minimizing it at times, falling into it, giving ourselves excuses and passes, what have you. So it's also thriving in secrecy and isolation. And, and so the combination of all those things and the young age, it just becomes this web of just, you know, becoming enslaved to it. Many, many clients, many men. Uh, end up really, and, and women struggling with this uh, more so now as well. Mm-hmm. And as far as media, social media, internet, you know, it's, as I mentioned before, it's so prevalent. It's just mm-hmm. everywhere. Has that, I mean, if we went back 30 years ago where there really was no social media, but there still was pornography and there, you know, there's, there's probably always been pornography. 2000 yeah. years ago, there was probably some kind of pornography. Yeah. Uh, but how, what, what factor specifically has uh, the Internet and social media had on this problem, especially with men? Yeah, it, it's, you know, with these, uh, the, porn, the, the accessibility with the Internet is it, so easy. I mean, it used to be that, yeah, you'd have to, you know, go into some seedy, you know, place to be exposed to these kind of things or it's hidden behind the counter at the 7-Eleven. And, and so you had to really make efforts to go and go out of your way. And, yeah. uh, go out of your way. and now it's just, you know, potentially right there at your phone and your fingertips to go and be exposed to this. And so, so just that prevalence, you know, and just, and again, the, the, the culture makes it seem that <coughs> in many sense that, it, that it's okay and then there are, there are some areas uh, of the secular culture that are starting to realize, though, slowly that, wait, this is becoming problematic in, in, in marriages and in people and just uh, in habits. And, and so uh, there, there are biological effects to this, you know, with uh, how overstimulation uh, of, of the eyes and the mind seeing these things. And that's another challenge with the Internet, the images of this. Uh, it's an, an over 
a sh- bigger shot of dopamine than you would get than maybe looking at a magazine picture. And so uh, it really, you know, it, it affects those certain areas of the pleasure centers of the brain. They grow more than other areas of the brain. And there's, you know, oftentimes described as these numb feelings when, when, when guys are involved with this, this numbness, this tuning out, this checking out, this, this hangover almost kind of thing when they indulge in this. And I think that's part of the challenge with the Internet and, and viewing these images in this way. And uh, my guest is David Mora. He is a licensed professional counselor and also a supervisor of LPCs. His practice is called Building Bridges Counseling. And if you put a .com at the end of that, you can mm-hmm. go to his website, Building bridgescounseling.com. He's also starting an Augustine Way Purity Group. And before we get into the specifics of what this group is going to be about and how people can get involved, let me ask you one uh, more question. Is uh, it's, it's called the men's group, so I'm, I presume it's only for men, but how prevalent is, of a pro- how big of a problem is impurity for, for women? And do women have similar struggles to men or is it very different? Yeah, it is growing in, in uh, numbers, certainly, the, the challenge that women have with this. I don't know the statistics offhand, but I've, I've heard the, the research, and it has grown over time, certainly. And uh, it's it's a little different sometimes. I, I think sometimes with guys, it's more just that, that lust and, and excitement around this. And with women, it can be more of a uh, uh, companionship, partnership, uh, fantasy in dealing with pornography. And so sometimes there's more of that that connection uh, type of uh, a thing with uh, companionship. Uh, and so as guys, maybe more excitement charges, less charges. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still, you know, problematic. Guys way. seem to be a lot more visual too, right? Uh, I yeah. see these, I see these books, you know, and like the, the stores, these uh, Harlequin romance, you know, and, and I don't think guys are reading those books, but women are. And so they, they will read as opposed to guys who are more into like visuals, like pictures or something, it seems. Um, so the, the Augustine Way Purity Group, where are you in the process and is, are you already having meetings or what, what's, what's the, where have, where have you come so far? Yeah. So, uh, with the new year starting, uh, you know, I've kind of just hit the ground running with getting the word out. And so, uh, you know, contacted some parishes and priests and there are some, uh, uh, bulletin alerts out there and, and ads and bulletins and contacted my, you know, Catholic clinician circle, uh, reached out to some, uh, you know, current clients, previous clients, what have you. So I'm kind of just slowly getting the word out. So and getting the, getting it started, and especially with the new year, you know, we're all considering resolutions and things to to resolve to try and do. And you know, what a what a great way to start the year if we can truly resolve to, you know. And many guys struggle with this for years and may say this every year. Yeah, I resolve. It's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to stop acting out in this way. Here's a concrete way, though, that you can go to this program. You can be a part of this group. Do something different than you've done before. And that's the challenge, you know, just we do the same thing over and over again and we expect a a different result. It's not going to get there. And so, guys, we unfortunately have a lot of stubbornness and pride and isolation. And and so I'm just, you know, challenging guys out there, consider something different. If you struggle with this, you know, contact me, reach out to me, go about it a different way. And what's different about this program is, is is it there an accountability aspect to it? Is it it's not? you know, Lone Ranger doing it on your own, but the, the fact that it's a group, are the guys helping each other, praying for each other? Uh, what is the group dynamic? Right, exactly, yes. So uh, it's the, the idea that the group dynamic of we're going through each module, so there's 12 modules in this, in this workbook, 
workbooks included. So it's 12 meetings and, and module one through 12. And there's different reading selections from the church fathers to bishops to C.S. Lewis. And there's also a psychological aspect to it, which I really like. And Dr. Susan Harvath is a psychologist, PhD. So it, it goes to the psychology and the spiritual. And sometimes uh, it, I think this challenge can get spiritualized a bit too much. Like, uh, and certainly I encourage these guys, do your spiritual practices, the sacraments, or a daily rosary, absolutely. But sometimes there's a human aspect we have to look at as well with the psychology of who we are. Habit forming, forming new habits, strengthening the will, looking at our cognitions and our, uh, the way we rationally think and, and, and we minimize different things and, and delude ourselves into uh, justifying certain things. So uh, it's a combination of those things. There's an accountability partner component as well. So it's connecting with someone in the group at the first meeting and, and, and at least meeting at least once a week over the phone or virtually to encourage each other through each module, uh, you know, reaching out if you feel tempted. And, and so that, that group dynamic and praying for each other, trading off readings, sharing stories, and, uh, and there's confidentiality that's going to be expected as well. What goes on in the group stays in the group. So uh, I think all those kind of things, mm-hmm. that dynamic, like you say, it, it makes it different than just kind of that solo going at, going at it at, by yourself. Yeah. And uh, th- these are in-person meetings uh, and what, once a week or how often? Yeah, we're looking at yeah, in-person uh, meetings once a week and uh, haven't decided what day yet. I'm still gathering the numbers. If I, Once I get six to eight guys, I got enough to start. And yeah. uh, so we can all kind of agree on what's a good night of the week, evening, what have you to, to meet. And so, so yeah, it's going to be in person. That dynamic in person, I think, is really important. And there's, there's a certain shame aspect to this uh, in two ways that I'm thinking about. First of all, just like, man, I, I got to get in front of guys and admit this and uh, that, that I have this. And also, what if somebody said, you know, I don't, my, my wife doesn't even know about this. And here I'm running off to these purity meetings. You know, what would you say about a, a guy like that who maybe is keeping it secret from his, uh, his, his spouse? Yeah, that, that's, I know that's a tough one, certainly. And, uh, you know, I don't advocate, you know, lying in marriage, certainly. And, that's just something to, to think and pray about, you know, further, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, anybody that's interested in this group can call me. We can discuss it further, certainly at on a, over the phone and how to navigate this. And, and so, uh, so yeah, I can understand there's maybe some, some challenging ideas around it, but I think, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, mm-hmm. you know, and God opens doors. Any cost? There's, there is a $30 uh, a meet, per meeting because uh, the meeting, the, the group does include the workbook and, and, you know, keeping the lights on in my office, the meetings are at my office in Richardson, okay. things like that. So it's, you know, there's a discount if you pay for all this, all the modules, 12 modules, it's $20 per module. So if you want to pay ahead, there's a discount. Okay. Otherwise, $30 a meeting, which is, you know, a lot less expensive than, you know, uh, typical therapy or, you know, if things are going really south, uh, threats of uh, separation, divorce, you know, mm-hmm. had clients you know, going through that, their wives are have contacted attorneys and they're frustrated and fed up. And that's, so it's, it's, it's a pretty good deal rather than having to go down that route. Yeah. So you haven't been through one of these yet, but you've probably heard about the kind of freedom or maybe even in your counseling where men do find the freedom to get beyond this. And so it must be very liberating when somebody finally gets control over this, you know, with God's help. Uh, so can you talk about yeah. that? Talk about the success stories. Yeah, yeah. I definitely had some guys who, uh, 
meeting with me individually, working on, you know, yeah, issues of hurts, pains, family of origin, what have you, uh, confidence growing and, and, and their depressions and anxieties. And, and maybe they're going to a group on their own, uh, an SA group, what have you. And, and that grow into yeah, extended periods of, of, of chastity and purity. You know, it may, may have been a daily, every other day habit. And, and then it's gone to, you know, once a week or once a month and in months. So I have seen that in some of my clientele and, and they're just, they can't believe it. I never thought I would get past a once a week, you know, and, and then going to once a month and then just extend. So mm-hmm. there are going to be setbacks at times with any difficult habit, addiction. There may be setbacks and we can't, uh, you know, despair. We just keep trying. It, it is not a 180 and it's, it's a, the, the gradualism, you know, we have to just understand that but yeah it is very uh guys are very just joyful and uh feel um, great when they have uh, made big strides all right well thank you so much for being here and if people want to contact you can i give out your phone number here yeah, from your phone number's great 972-898-1318 uh david mora m-o-r-a is the, my guest building bridges counseling is there information on the website, or is there a separate website about this? Uh, yeah, there's a little information on my website, and there is the uh, Augustine Way website as well, augway.com, A-U-G-W-A-Y. Dot, A-U-G-W-A-Y? Yeah. Augway. Augway.com. Dot com, augway.com. Uh, people okay. can go to that as well. I believe it's dot com. Not .org. You might want to try it just in just case. Just try a, different, a few yeah. uh, different options. Yeah. Or you can just call the phone number, 972-898-1318. And like you said, when you get to about six guys, then you're just going to go ahead and say, let's get started, right? Yeah. So hopefully several from this interview will contact you. And uh, appreciate you coming in. Thank you for yes. providing this very important uh, <clears throat> you know, service for a lot of guys. Buildingbridgescounseling.com. David Moore is my guest. And this has been the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm fighting back a sneeze right now in a big way. So I better close out this interview. <clears throat> uh, Cecil Anderson has been uh, our board operator and she has uh, performed her tasks flawlessly today. So thank you, Cecil. And thank you for listening. And if you have any suggestions for future interviews, I always love to uh, learn about cool things like this that are going on. You can email me directly, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have you ever heard an aviation emergency on the news? You hear the pilot in ATC talking, but what do you miss? The pilot asking their aircraft dispatcher what they should say on the radio to sound cool. Aircraft dispatchers are the problem solvers working at the airline's operations center. My wife and I run Aircraft Dispatcher Training Center in Farmer's Branch. Thanks to the amazing program here at the GRN, we have become Catholic and now sponsors of this great station. Lent is right around the corner, and now is a good time to begin preparing. Would you like to gain a better understanding of the Sacrament of Reconciliation? Hi, I'm Dave Palmer here at the GRN. On Friday, January 26th, during the noon hour Central Time, I'll host a live special network program with Father James Yamauchi, focusing on the Sacrament of Reconciliation from the perspective of a parish priest. This is your chance to not only learn, but also to call in with your questions. It's Friday, January 26th, beginning at 12 noon Central. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network uh, in North Texas. We like to highlight a lot of different types of interviews and people and news on this program. It's very eclectic. And one of my favorite things to do is just to hear a story of how God is working and has worked powerfully in a person's life, especially if there's some, you know, some drama, some uh, real human interest to it. And I recently got a text from my dear friend, Olivia Franklin, and she said, Dave, you've got to meet this guy I just met. His name is James Miller, and he's an amazing story. And I met him at St. Bernard's, and he's got to come in for an interview. And uh, Olivia always just uh, leads me to, to, to some of the, the one most wonderful people. And so uh, James is here in studio uh, with me, and uh, I don't know a lot of his story. I told him, just give me the highlights, but I want to hear it right along with you. And so, James, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me in. Uh, so tell me about the meeting with Olivia. How did that all come about? Was that, uh, over there at St. Bernard's? Is that right? That's right. We, uh, met her after mass and I remember walking in prior to the mass starting and, uh, our eyes met and I could tell that I was going to meet her after mass. <laughs> it was one of those kind of, one of those kind of interactions. It right. Was, right. Uh, guided by some divine force, I think looking back. And, uh, so how did she know that? you were interested in talking or they had a story or how did that come out? Did she just come up and start talking to you? That's exactly what she did. So, you know, we, I, I felt like we were going to speak after mass. And so we walked out, she was standing right there and we met her and then she immediately started to kind of get into our story. My fiance and I, and had some good advice for us. And Mm. uh, I shared with her a little bit about how I had found my way back to the church Yeah, and it proceeded from there. So, before we get to the the catalyst and the return to the the the, the faith, which uh, from what you told me is very new, is this is really just a couple of months? It's something that has happened just this summer. Uh, so let's go back to the beginning. You're from New Orleans, right? Louisiana. Grew up in a as a Catholic. How how like faithful was your family? How how Catholic was your upbringing? I'd say it was fairly Catholic when we were very little. I feel like as we got into probably, so everybody got confirmed, everybody had their first communion, that kind of thing. But I think as family life gets busier and busier and busier, as you get into junior high and then high school, I think my parents were probably reliably attending mass every Sunday. But unfortunately, you know, we were not pushed very hard to Mm -hmm. attend with them. And of course, I think all of us fell away, you know, once we got past confirmation. And so mm-hmm. um, that's the, you know, those are the circumstances. Yeah. So after confirmation, you're a teenager and going through high school, probably having the same pressures and interests that uh, most guys would have. So I know you told me at some point things really kind of snowball downhill with a lot of, uh, you know, not, not a great lifestyle, but, uh, how, how were the teenage years? I don't know if you went to college, how, how were your teens and twenties? Uh, my teenage years were really the glue that held that together was, um, Marine JROTC. And if it hadn't been for that, I don't know where I'd be. Uh-huh. Uh, I like that structure and the authority. Those, uh, the senior Marine instructor was able to speak to me in a way that I wouldn't listen to my parents. And so thank, thank God for that. Uh, I attended the university of Mississippi and graduated with a BBA in management information systems. And that time was really typified by 
uh, academics, but a lot of partying, drinking, um, and that kind of thing and, and marijuana use and that kind of, you know, and so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that it was super unhealthy, but it certainly wasn't a, it wasn't a life of a Catholic by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how far down did it go? I mean, you talk about the the drugs, the drinking, I'm sure there was, you know, women or, you know, all the, all the, the, the typical things that kind of go together. Uh, when did it kind of really hit, hit rock bottom? Huh? I think the first really horrible thing that happened that I'm, you know, obviously 100% responsible for, but in my early twenties, I impregnated a girl and paid for her to have an abortion. And that event the horror of that and the, the, the moral fallout from it was so severe that I believe looking back, that's what drove a lot of the drinking and the drug use and really self-loathing that was so typical of that stretch of my twenties. And would you have considered yourself pro-life at that time or ambivalent or who cares or, uh, I mean, how you use it sounds like you really reg- almost regretted this from the, a, the a onset. Ca- a, a cowardly pro-life. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you, pro-life but, until until there's real responsibility yeah. that may be involved in consequences, and then not so much. So, a great cowardice. I've uh, interviewed a number of men who have gone through Project Joseph. I know Reg Platt very well, the director of Project Joseph, and there's uh, somewhat of a myth that you know, women feel the pain of abortion and men don't and men, it's just, you know, they move on with their life, but doesn't sound, I don't think that's many people's story, but it certainly wasn't yours. Was it? How, how, I mean, was this like waking up in the middle of the night or every time you see a child, you get, you know, bad memories or how, how did that manifest itself? The guilt and the pain. I had killed a human being. Yeah. And I felt like, that's a point of no return for salvation. You are done. That's mm-hmm. it. And that's a very lonely, the impact of that existentially cannot be underestimated. Yeah. So you, you knew at the time you were killing a human being. This, this wasn't just a, a blob of tissue. I mean, but at the time it's, it seems like a, like a good decision. Cause you know, you got to move on with your life. Right. Yeah, unwilling to take responsibility for the turn of events. And that was, quote unquote, the easy way out. Mm -hmm. So that meant further spiraling down, more drinking, more drugs, more women. I mean, it accelerated dramatically after that. Okay, but that was was over 20 years ago, right? That's right. And all this other good stuff has just been the last couple of months. So did you have 20 years of debauchery, would you say? You know, I found endurance sports in my late 20s, and that focused a lot of my energy and kind of pulled me out of that very destructive part of my life. And understand, I was employed the whole time. My career was taking off, and by all accounts, I didn't look that different than other kind of hard-drinking mm-hmm. 20-something-year-olds that are trying to figure out that career trajectory and all that kind of thing. And so... Um, in my late twenties, I got involved in Ironman and that proved to be kind of a lifeline, at least in terms of physical health, you know, maintaining a a healthy weight and, um, you know, not being at the bar every day after work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, to kind of make a long story short, 
joined a startup about 12 years ago. In the early years of that were kind of a hard drinking, super long hour type of episode. And, you know, a lot of the same patterns, a lot of drinking and just uh, darkness, you know, just nothing but work. And then the same kind of record that plays afterward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you said your upbringing was, you know, Catholic, but not real strong Catholic. Throughout all these years and the abortion and the drinking, the partying, working hard, was there ever a tug back to, to go to church? Did you ever think like, I miss, I miss going to mass, I miss confession? Did that ever enter your mind? I would say that there were times when I would attend other denominations services and I was struck by how, uh, and I mean this in the most charitable way, but their liturgy doesn't. It didn't move me in the same way that mm-hmm. the, the Catholic Roman Catholic liturgy moves me. And so to me, that never seemed like any sort of viable option. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe there's a little bit of Catholic snobbery there uh, in, in terms of sort of the, the ancient, uh, amazing, beautiful, you know, Latin roots. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thoughts enter my head, but the fundamental belief at that point was that I had done something that was completely unforgivable. And so there is no future for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a fiance now and I know there's, there's several things that kind of converge. It's a trip to confession. It's well, well, there's a horrible illness that God used to wake you up. Which one comes first? The the horrible illness is that? Um, yeah, tell us, tell us about it. God, God wakes you up. He hits you by with a two by four, right? That's right. Not subtle. Uh, so in early June of this year, I fell ill with a in a, an intestinal problem that involved part of my intestinal tract sort of twisting around itself and cutting the blood flow off which causes it to die and it'll take you with it. And so I ended up in the hospital and had a major abdominal surgery suddenly. And um, I was misdiagnosed by one hospital system and lost about four days. And in those four days that I got closer to God. And I mean that in the most serious sense. And so the experience of, you know, praying for a solution and praying for my life and knowing that my soul is in a horrible state and that I'm not ready to go was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. And I I came out of that knowing that I had to go back to the church, that he had spared my life and granted my plea and that there was only one thing to do. So you were praying during those four days. Yes, absolutely. First time in a while you were praying? Well, of course, you know, a horrible Catholic, one that that prays only when they need something and they're so far over a barrel, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that's, you know, the the, uh, the cosmic ATM approach to God, which is <laughs> you just show up with your hand yeah. out when yeah. you need something. Um, yeah, yeah. But those four, four days uh, were, were life-changing. I was awake for probably 22 hours a day in pain. And so in that fatigue and in that, the dark of that night, the literal dark of those nights, and I'm trying to be quiet so that she can sleep and go to work Mm -hmm. the next day and not be totally fatigued. And I would pace around the house because that was kind of the most comfortable position to be in. And there's just a lot of time to think. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually you had the surgery, you came out on the other side and I think a lot of people would have just said, back to 
where I was, but the, this whole kind of grace of God, it, it, it's, it stuck, didn't it? It took about seven to 10 days. And I had the distinct sense that I was in a, a serious existential crisis. And really, in my mind, there were only two ways this was going to go. Either I can try to drink my way through this and for the listeners that that can't see me, I'm in pretty good physical shape. And I thought to myself, man, this is going to take quite, quite a toll on my health. I don't know that this is a viable option. And to me, the only other viable option was to try to go back to the church and get, get squared away. And yeah. so on a Tuesday, I show up at St. Barnard at the parish office at 9 a.m., uh, begging for an immediate confession as if <laughs> as if Father Andy and Father Luis don't have an entire day planned for yeah. them on a calendar, right? Yeah. You know, and, and then, very good with their time, though. I mean, you know. So. And you just picked that because it was the closest parish? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, yeah. get on Google Maps. Yeah. And, Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I wasn't so going to wait one more minute. I mean, it, it got to that point where I was like, I have to go do this right now. Yeah. And they, they, um, were you able to do it? Yes. I mean, amazingly enough. So Father Lewis comes out and brings me back there and we get down into it. I explain to him, hey, I haven't been to confession in 30 years. And uh, I've got this list of stuff that I want to go through. And so we get into it. And uh, he's very gentle in nature. And um, we get to the point where he, yeah, I disclose that I'm living with my girlfriend in sin. And he says, okay, time out here. Uh, you know, that's, I'm not going to be able to absolve your sins. I said, father, how do we rectify this? And he says, well, in so many words, do you want to marry this girl? And I said, yes, I just needed a catalyst for it. And so out of that failed confession attempt, I drive home, immediately pick the phone up, call my girlfriend on the phone and ask her, do you want to marry me? And she says, yes. <laughs> had y'all talked about marriage before? We had, uh, but I had been noncommittal about a timeline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Life comes at you quick. At least you didn't text her. I felt like a, it warranted a phone. It rose to the, it rose to the seriousness of a phone call. <laughs> Without a doubt. So she said yes. And, um, y'all have not, gotten married yet right but uh, no. it's, it's it's planned did you go back and get the, the formal confession yeah so once we got into father really told us what his expectations were for our our living situation yeah and to get on track on the formal marriage process and enter into that it put me in a state where i could then have a valid confession in, in kind of all the circumstances that that would entail yeah. to be in a, in a, in a position where he can do that. And, um, so I had that confession with him. Uh, and then I was able to take Holy communion for the first time in 30 years. And that mm. was such a, an amazing experience, such a powerful experience. Is your fiance Catholic? She is. She was okay. baptized Catholic. Unfortunately, uh, her Catholic formation stopped before she had her Holy communion in, in confirmation. Okay. So she's maybe, she's on her own path. Yeah. She, she is. Uh, Father gave us Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn. Mm -hmm. You can really Hahn to read. And uh, I devoured that in a couple of days and, and got a lot out yeah. of that. And one of those things was, is that even between, look, if the Hans are on 
slightly different paths with their faith, then mm-hmm. I'm going to, that you know, my girlfriend and yeah. I, and for fiance and I are going to be on slightly different paths too. And I have to have the patience and grace to understand that that's the, probably the way it's going to be for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's unrealistic to think that you're going to be in the exact same place at the exact same time. Right. Right. Uh, well, praise God. So, so here you are, you're fired up for the faith and uh, you're going to get married. I mean, everything has changed in two months, hasn't it? I mean, and and I know I asked you I, I, uh, about I, about this, you know, catastrophic illness that you had. You consider it uh, a blessing, even though it was horrendously painful for four days. God, God blessed you with that, didn't he? It was it was a tremendous good fortune, a tremendous good fortune. I will tell you, you know, in that prayer. I believe that grace was, you know, had where I was able to walk out of the hospital under my own power with no wheelchair to two and a half days, three and a half days, two and a half days after that surgery. And the typical hospital stay is seven to 10 days. And so it's, it's just an absolutely miraculous recovery. Mm. The team that was taking care of me was just completely shocked on, on a Saturday. They walk in and I've showered and shaved and put street clothes on and I'm sitting in the lounger that's designed for the guests and I'm working on my fitness brand and the hospitalist walked in and looks at the the hospital bed and Amanda was passed out in it. She was so tired. And I think he thought he was in the wrong room. He's like, there's a a woman in that bed that's got long blonde hair. Yeah. So uh, you probably, all your friends probably are still calling you up and saying, Hey, let's go party. I mean, did you have to cut off some friends or make new ones or, what about your social life now? I would say that when I got into my 40s, all that kind of stuff really slowed down. Um, my career is really at a kind of a, a zenith at this point where I've got to focus. We uh, took a company public in 2021. And so, you know, I've matured a good deal where, you know, if you want to catch me for dinner and a cocktail, I do it between 5 and 6 p.m. You're not going to mm-hmm. catch me out at 10 p.m. Or, or midnight. And so mm-hmm. that slowed down dramatically. But there was really no, there was no, you know, attendance of mass or confession or, or any real prayer life except when things were going really wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, and by the way, uh, the, I'm, I'm interviewing James Miller, and uh, he is from St. Bernard's Parish, and this is the interview of the week, and it's a, a story about God, you know, reaching a person, and sometimes it, it takes something pretty dramatic in some people's lives. And um, uh, James, you mentioned about the abortion, and obviously the abortion still is in the past, but how, how does this kind of transformation and a renewal of spiritual life, receiving the Eucharist. How does that change that? Or you and I talked about Project Joseph. Or uh, how how does uh, what what is the different maybe perspective on that now? Well, the the transformation for the the person is that you unburden yourself from this tremendous sin that you're carrying around. In fact, I have this physical sense of being exhausted and I'm, I'm six weeks, seven, eight weeks post-op. So I'm not, I'm not really still recovering from the surgery. I believe these are the temporal consequences of carrying that sin for, for decades. I I just feel exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this great sense of inner peace that would, I could never achieve through drugs or alcohol or meditation or yoga or any of these kind of occult practices uh, that unfortunately I found myself involved in from time to time. And, um, you know, the first step was going back to the church 
and that confession. Mm-hmm. And there, there's always a path back. There's always a path back. And I, I look back now after reading some of the things that Father Mike Schmitz has written and others, that the devil whispers in your ear and says, there's no path back. Yeah. You're, you know, you're done. There's, there, there's no way that there's forgiveness for you. This is yeah. way too bad. And I believe that was very active in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, well, how did your family react? Your siblings and your parents? Uh, I don't know if your parents are still alive or what, but uh, what do they say? My parents have been praying for this for decades. Mm-hmm. So they are thrilled to get this news. And it's actually brought us closer together because we have the most important thing in life in common now. Which so is they're, they're still practicing the faith. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Live yeah. down in Kerrville, Texas, are retired and, you know, uh, very active Catholic you know, lifestyle and, and yeah. way of being. Yeah. Kind of like the St. Augustine story. I mean, of, uh, you know, somebody really in a bad path. And then all of a sudden, like in a, in a moment, just the, the light goes on, lots of prayers from the parents as well. Um, you, you mentioned that Olivia gave you some advice. I don't know if that's something that you're able to tell us. I, Olivia is a very wise woman and she's helped so many people. Is there anything that you're able to reveal to us that Olivia told you? Sure. So she asked about our engagement and, and um, she was adamant about us really making a, a, a good faith attempt at abstinence between now and, you know, when we're married yeah. in the church. And um, I had kind of committed to the lesser path of, of confession right before and then, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, all I needed was just a push in that direction. And um, in praying the rosary, and asking Mother Mary for help, this has been, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but quite easy, really. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's amazed. great. Yeah. Well, for someone that lived by their disordered passions, at the whim of their disordered passions for decades, I'm absolutely shocked at how this has been little more than just a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, amazing. God's grace. And, uh, you know, there's so so many lessons here. I, I God bless that great priest. Do you say Father Luis over yes. at St. Bernard's? Because you could have run into a bad priest who said, oh, you're being too hard on yourself. You're, you know, you're fine. And uh, But for him to do that and give you the Scott Kimberly Hawn book and, you know, just tell you you're not ready for confession yet. I mean, that's just classic pastoral approach of a good priest. And so God bless him and also Olivia as well. And so it's, it's, it's a beautiful story. And so th- thank you so much for coming and, and sharing with us. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, I, there, there is a certain sense of, of me about like, well, gosh, it's so new. You know, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, yeah, you're in the honeymoon period right now, but a lot of the, the prayer, and I ask our listeners to pray for perseverance, you know, pray for, for, for full fortitude. Uh, because yeah, with God's grace, this can just keep getting better and better and better. And so, uh, awesome. Anything else you'd like to uh, say to our listeners about your story or did we cover it pretty well? No, the last thing I would say is, is that there's, you just got to go back to confession. That's where it starts. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, thanks again, Olivia. I know she listens to these stories. She always likes to hear, uh, you know, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. Uh, and again, my guest is James Miller. Pray for him. Pray for his upcoming wedding. Pray for his 
uh, chastity and um, and pray for our priests because uh, good priests uh, are like Father Louis helped to guide souls back into uh, the fold and into the church. So praise God for that. Uh, James, thanks again. And uh, it's good also to meet uh, Amanda, your uh, your fiance, and I know she didn't. She's she's sitting out there in the the green room. <laughs> she is. Yeah, so good to meet her as well. Thanks to Cecil Anderson for running the board, and you know, uh, people like Olivia give me a lot of great uh, suggestions for interviews. It makes my job easier because I don't have to go running around trying to find all my interviews. So if you know of a great story or a great apostolate or somebody that's helping to build up the body of Christ uh, in any way, uh, let me know. Email me Dave Palmer at GRN Online. Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. God bless you. Have a great rest. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth. Catholic radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.